Everybody, uh, welcome to another episode of Born to Rome. I'm Luke, uh, Luke Nil, and uh, broadcasting live from the Nil House, uh, one of the final broadcasts from the Nil House, undisclosed location in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Um, as you can see, uh, very, very proud to uh, to be joined by Mr. Drew Thompson. Hello, I'm Drew Thompson from the Drew Thompson Foundation Instagram account. Hope you're all doing well. <laughs> no earpods today, or AirPods. No, I have them with me. Yeah, but I thought I've got you know, mine too. I was okay, like, good. if you're gonna be wearing no yours, I would be wearing mine. Because <laughs> I drove here, it's too hot to walk. I didn't yeah. want to get all sweaty on the walk over. Yeah, it sucks when they get all sweaty. Eh? It does. I think I've got permanent um, liquid in my ear now. Oh I've, yeah, it feels. It's either that or tinnitus. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I think it it's a bit be of a little. Both. It could be a bit of both. Yeah. I I have a sneaking suspicion that I'm like low key giving myself tinnitus with my AirPods because like I just find I. Every time I leave the house, I'm like podcast in and I'm walking around downtown. So there's trucks yeah. and stuff. I'm like, let's turn up the volume a little bit. And then like I get home and it feels like I just like played like a full concert without earplugs or anything. Yeah. And I'm like, I was just listening to like Richard Dawkins <laughs> talk shit. I was just listening to Malcolm like, Gladwell. For yeah, exactly. It, it feels like I just left like a like a Motorhead concert. Yeah. Like. Oh, I'm the same. Like I've got them in all the time, probably out of my waking hours, I'd say like 60% of the day I've got ear pods. And if I'm out of the house, even if I'm in the house, um, Me too. and it's, my phone only has one volume setting. It's max. Yeah. So, and, yeah. But I'm all listening to boring. Like I don't listen to music really anymore. I just listen to audiobooks, podcasts. I'll listen to music once in a while, but I've hit that age where it's like I've listened to everything that I really like, mm. and it's taken me a while to. I well, no, that's not true. There's there's lots of new bands that I listen to, but for the majority of of my walking and like hanging out, I'm listening to podcasts or audiobooks, and it's destroying my ear. I, I swear to God, it's destroying. Just my hearing ear. people like talking about yeah bipartisan issues, shit and, I really don't care about. Yeah, yeah, stuff that I zone out. But if I just if I'm alone with my own thoughts for too long, that's worse. Oh, for death. sure. Like walking around and having to actually think is <laughs> yeah. fucking brutal. Yeah. Or like hear other people talk. Yeah. That, um, that. that I haven't chosen <laughs> yeah. to listen to. Yeah. Hearing the conversations in downtown Hamilton from uh, uh, the average uh, upstanding citizen. It's pretty not, wild. There yeah. was a, actually, there was a fight um, in front of my apartment the other day that perked my attention uh, and I like poked my head out the window. I was like, this isn't a podcast. Um, and... Uh, there was a guy who was yelling, I'll be back in five minutes. And he took off on his bike. Was, this was in the morning. I was yeah. having my espresso and my toast. And um, I made a mental reminder to check back in five minutes. Check back in five minutes. The guy came um, and he had uh, something in a garbage bag. And he was riding his bike furiously down Barton Street East. I, this is a busy street. And he, in the middle of the street, jumps off his bike, leaves his bike in the middle of the road, causes a traffic jam. <laughs> whips off the garbage bag it's a baseball bat and he's charging at this guy with a baseball bat i run i scurry down like a rat yeah. down my stairs with my phone because i'm like oh i should evidence um yeah. and there's another older guy there no garbage bag but uh just like a 12 inch knife in an ira t-shirt and i was oh like oh my shit. lord this is 
going to be uh, terrible. Yeah. So it's not going to be good. Uh, I'm shakily kind of like videotaping it, <laughs> but going, hey, it's not worth it. Um, and then like there's a construction site across the street and the, a bunch of construction workers came over and like abruptly intervened. Yeah. But these guys, keep in mind, I, sh I should have said this before. These guys aren't young. These are senior citizens. Yeah. These are like, these are old guys. Early bird special kind of yeah. guys. Yeah. And I was like, shit, sometimes real life is interesting. Not interesting. I felt bad for everybody involved, but like Hamilton's a wild place. It is. It is. I, and you know, it's, it's also kind of like a reminder that, uh, they're like, people have fantasies about like, through like uh, through the passage of time, that thing like <laughs> all of your issues will be resolved, and you'll be a, a more mature. Yeah. And now, now you're still no. gonna be uh, driving down the street street with a <laughs> I baseball have a, bat. <laughs> if you told twenty year old Drew Thompson that I'd be living the life I do now, he'd be no, no, <laughs> he's gonna be successful. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I swear, <laughs> the way I envisioned my life going was not <laughs> this way. Yes. There's a, I'm, th that reminds me of that Guided by Voices line in that song, I Am a Scientist, when he says, uh, I am a lost soul. Uh, I shoot myself with rock and roll. The hole I <laughs> dig is bottomless, but nothing else can set me free. Oh, it's a great it's line. It's a great line. It's uh, a heavy line. It hurts. It hurts. It's so, it's, it's so real. It hurts, dude. Uh, well, you know, these are the lives that we've chosen. Speaking of which, um, let's, let's get into uh, some of the, uh, the kind of uh, formative years for Mr. Drew Thompson and, and uh, rock sure. and roll. Um, so you grew up around London, right? Yeah. London, Ontario? Yeah, yeah. And did you have like a, an, an, like when you think back, is there kind of, you know, I, I'm sure it changes from day to day like most people, but uh, do you have like a moment or like a when, when you were first became aware of music or rock and roll or anything like that? Um, yeah. <laughs> a song? I, it was puberty. Okay. I remember like yes. <laughs> puberty hitting and all of a sudden like much music yeah. was a thing that I, you know, instead of watching YTV, you just moved. Yeah. You just, <laughs> you hit one music. channel up, right? It was 21, 22. Uh, no, in London it was 25, 29. All right. All right. But um, I was raised with a single mom and I lived with my grandparents most of uh, a lot of my youth and they were all, my grandma was always home. Mm -hmm. So we watched a lot of musicals together and things like that. She wasn't a fan of rock and roll music. Mm -hmm. More like Oklahoma and stuff. <laughs> singing in the Rain. Yeah, She's singing a huge Gene Kelly fan. Nice. But eventually my mom and I, we moved out and um, my mom got a boyfriend and we moved in with him. And all of a sudden my grandma wasn't there like watching over me all the time and I discovered like much music and things like that. And um, I switched schools a lot. We moved quite a bit. And this new school that I went to, my friend Dylan, his aunt worked for Sony Music as like a promotions manager. So she would go from store to store to store, setting up CD racks and things like that and CD promotions. And she would drop off all the CDs that she was done with, I guess, or whatever to Dylan. And so we would sit wow. there and listen to his like shit. And Dylan's dad played guitar for like a cover band in St. Thomas, Ontario. And together, Dylan, <laughs> knowing Dylan and our little friend group, we all kind of found skateboarding and music at the same time in like grade six, seven-ish mm -hmm. area. This was just before Tony Hawk Pro Skater came out. And like you were kind of ridiculed for skateboarding back then. Like you were kind of made fun of. It, was, it wasn't a cool thing. It was like right before it kind of hit mainstream, I guess, again. And um, Dylan would like trade those CDs his aunt would bring 
for like other shit. So if I don't know if I had a shirt that he wanted and I wanted like the back Odalay CD, this is real. I would I traded in shit for like CDs all the time. So I'd, I'd get like back Odalay, Oasis. What's the story? Morning Glory was one of my first CDs. Alanis Morissette, the Jagged Little Jagged Pill, Little Pill, huge formative album for me. Um, and I don't know if you remember like the Now compilations. Oh yeah. So I'd go to Costco with my grandma and she would every once in a while pick me up a CD and I'd get like the now fucking thing or whatever. So it was very mainstream, early mm-hmm. rock influence, um, big Green Day fan, like Insomniac and Dookie, those years. And then um, this movie, That Thing You Do came out. Oh, yeah. My stepdad had a, like an illegal cable box. So I watched the shit out of that movie and wanted to be a drummer. And we went to... Um, the school that I went to was like a pretty poor school in East London and they didn't have a music program, but another school did. And we shared their school's music program. And so twice a week we would go to a different school. We'd get in fights with that school. Like it was super, uh, very like outsider-esque, like yeah, yeah, bullshit. Yeah. Like, Greasers um, and socias. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Except we were from the Churchill school and they were Lord Nelson. Okay. And we'd get there early, play football and fight. And then I'd go in and play drums, um, or whatever. But then my family moved again. And the next school that I went to, um, the fucking music teacher just wouldn't let me play drums. Like he was a real, he didn't like me. I didn't like him. I was not terrible at drums. Um, but I ended up taking up trombone and like my, my mom had a, a my sister at that point and she didn't want a drum set in the house because my sister was very young. So that was the end of my drumming mm. world. But that's what I always wanted to be a drummer very badly and I've always been very hard on drummers because I'm jealous that they're so good. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very enviable instrument. I think for many reasons. It's an excellent instrument. It's an excellent instrument. It's the foundation. It is the foundation. (laughs) Um, but that's kind of like what I remember, I guess, uh, at the beginning of, of noticing music and things like that. I started a band in grade seven. We played an open mic, like talent show thing, uh, assembly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah. Forgot all the words as soon as we got up there. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. I had an old Harmony Bobcat. Was my first what? guitar. Yeah, Your legit first guitar. It Kinda. was my yeah. my mom found it at a pawn shop. Wow. And uh, and picked it up for me. It was before they were like cool. And but Dylan had a Strat. Wow. So he made fun of me a yeah. lot for having that. Bomb now who's laughing? Now who's laughing? Yeah. The arm, I at some point the arm just like uh, the neck just fucking snapped off of it, oh. and I had to put it back together with um, wood glue. Okay. And it still is on there today. Still works. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, the intonation's pretty fucked up. Yeah, it, yeah. But it's more of a decorative piece, but yeah. Uh, and so when you we, when you played your first show, did, were you playing originals? Uh, no, we were playing Green Day covers. Nice. Yeah, but I had written my an original in grade seven. Do you remember what it was called? It was about getting old. Yeah. Yeah, and it was terrible. Um, <laughs> I think it was called like, what are you going to be or something like okay. that? Yeah, it was like not good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. sounds like a Westerberg title kind of. It could have been. I had no idea of him back then. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I think it was like, what are you going to be when you get old? <laughs> what do you no I'm not gonna it's, yeah, it's okay. so in terms of kind of going off of the beaten path of readily available music and I guess what much music and compilations were kind of giving you when was your first introduction into the kind of 
uh, less explored, more, I guess, dare I say, alternative music? I think like, um, well, the wedge on much music yeah. was always a big thing. That introduced me to bands like The Streets that I, and The Avalanches that I still um, really adore today. When I moved just outside of London and went to this high school called Medway, <clears throat> we moved, I went to Ireland with my dad for a couple weeks that summer. And when I was away, my mom moved houses from East London to just outside London. And this is like the weekend before high school started. Mm. So I ended up going to this high school where I didn't know anybody. I didn't even know the town that we moved to existed. Uh, I didn't, I'd never heard of this high school. And I ended up gravitating towards this kid named Braden, who we shared a couple classes with. And his sister was really into like the Fat Records catalog, okay. Lagwagon and all of that stuff. He had an older sister and she introduced us to that. I knew of Lagwagon from a 411 Australia skate video before that, but that was my only introduction to like bands uh, uh, in, in that world. And she showed us all of that stuff, like the Fat Rec um, comp. And um, through that, just was the opening the door to all the other music that yeah. I kind of got into. Um, my neighbor in in uh, Kamoka, the little town that we moved to, he introduced me to like college radio down the line. I ended up taking an internship at uh, the university radio station, CHRW, which opened my eyes to a bunch of new music. Um, it was just a, like a not not a very unique path. It was just one thing led to another, led to another, led to another. I've always been very interested in like good lyricists um, and interesting tunes. So I don't really have a favorite genre. Uh, I just like a good song. Yeah. Like a good song to me is, I don't care what music's behind it. I want to hear, I want to hear the poetry behind it. I want to hear the impact of the lyrics and the yeah. way they're delivered. So yeah. I really like a lot of hip hop and I think maybe when I was younger, I didn't, I thought it was, I thought I wasn't supposed to like hip hop mm -hmm. because I was into guitar music mm -hmm. and there was like still that rival, like it's so dumb to think about now, but there was still like a rivalry back exactly then what you're talking about. between it. <clears throat> I remember at one point in my life picking up a Puff Daddy CD and picking up a Green Day CD and go, and like, I must've been in grade seven or eight and being like, oh, which one, which path am I going to take here? Yeah. And I the took, red pill or the blue yeah, pill. I took Nimrod. Nice. Stupidest move. Yeah. <laughs> you could have been a rich rapper right now. Gosh. <laughs> Imagine that. I think, yeah, the uh, the guitar, the, I think uh, choosing a guitar is a, uh, is a specific path. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Oh, I'll absolutely. That, kids. For sure. Um, and then so kind of going through a few bands and stuff, where, where do we pick up the trail in terms of um, the origins of single mothers? Now, Correct me if I'm wrong, but were you a real estate agent before Single Mother started or during the beginning? Yeah, I was going into, um, I got out of college. I kind of dropped out, kind of graduated. I think I, I graduated. Depends who you ask. <laughs> yeah, like I graduated a program, not the program like okay. I, was, I was supposed to do. I was working at a bank in London. I'd, I, would, I was playing in, do you know Mike Riley? Yeah, of course. I was playing in Mike Riley. Mike Riley's a fantastic songwriter, good friend of mine, Mike Riley. Shout out um, to Mike Riley, one of the funnest, funniest guys alive. What's his fucking Instagram? That's so stupid. I think it's called Coast Rock King <laughs> on Instagram if you want to check him out. I was playing guitar in one of his bands. Now, I, was, I never intended to be a guitar player. I wanted to be a drummer, but I, I, I had a guitar. So I was never a very good guitar player. I, I can manage in the realm of like pop rock or whatever, but I was playing guitar for Mike. He's very difficult to be in a band with, very militant band leader, driven. 
and I respect him uh, somewhat for for that take on being in band. Anyways, I think he kicked me out. Yeah, I think you, he kicked me out for dismissed? not being very good at <laughs> guitar. And um, so I was working at a bank. I heard about severance pay. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I got fired from that bank and got severance pay. And for that summer, I was kind of coasting around. And then my money ran out. And I was trying to figure out what to do next. I was watching a lot of HDTV with my grandma. I was still going to my grandma's all the time and getting her groceries and things like that. And I was like, fuck, maybe being a real estate agent would be right up my alley. Like, uh, you drive around all day, you're not in an office, got no real boss. I hate having a boss. That's one thing like I can't deal with is having somebody telling me what to do all the time. It's very, it's, man, that might be a dumb thing to say, but I, I won't do it. I just won't. I'd rather live in the gutter than have a boss. So I was like, all right, you know what? I'll do this thing. I'm pretty much on my own. And I started working for this company, Remax. Um, a plethora of problems in the real estate industry. There's a lot of drug problems and drinking problems in the music industry. It, it's rampant. Really? In, in the London, Ontario real student housing scene? real real estate scene. Fucking terrible. Wow. So I never knew. The guy that, um, I won't name names here because he's still working. But the guy that I was working uh, under, like as the broker, who was kind of my boss, but not really my boss. He was, I was a commission worker. So I, you know, he just left me alone, but he had terrible cocaine addiction, terrible alcohol addiction. And he hired a lot of alcoholics too. And one of the guys that he hired started letting himself into vacant properties all the time. And I was renting out student properties amidst taking my, um, my real estate license courses. And I was renting out properties <clears throat> pretty quickly. And um, this guy was letting himself into properties that I had rented out. Oh, wow. And I had rented one to my friend for the summer. And uh, at the night he was moving in, he found this guy passed out on the living room floor of the apartment and called me up. He's like, Drew, what the fuck, man? Like, there's somebody in my house. And I went, oh my God, does he look like a drunk? Does he look like a drunk divorcee? And he's like, yeah, he does. I was like, don't call the cops, I'll be right there. And I wake this guy up and I'm like, hey, hey, what the hell are you doing? And he gets up, drops his pants, and then starts just pissing on the floor, like right in front of this guy. And he's calling his dad. His dad's a lawyer. And his he passes the phone to me. He's like, is this uh, Drew Thompson or blah, 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 Remax, uh, whatever. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, I'm going to tell you this right now. You're going to get a lawsuit in the morning. <laughs> You're going to refund my son. And I was like, all right, yeah, I'll refund him right now. So I went to the bank. I took my own cash out, gave it to this guy. I was like, listen, I'm sorry. You know, you'll find a place. Went to my bot, like the uh, the guy that, uh, we'll take that the we'll broker. Take that out, yeah. The broker the next day and I went, you got to fire this guy because like he's causing me so many headaches. He's, ca he's causing you headaches and he wouldn't fire him. So I just like quit that day. Wow. And I went, this isn't worth it. And it was crazy <laughs> money. Like it was, it's wild commissions. Like even to, um, to just rent is crazy, is crazy commissions. But I was doing stuff I, 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 I don't think I was supposed to be doing like open houses and things like that as I was getting my license. So... I quit that job and kind of walked over to this bar Winks that we all went to in London 
And kind of like that night just started Single Mothers because I'd given up on music because Mike Riley kicked me out. Yeah, of the band. End of the line. Yeah, I was in a, I had a girlfriend and I was like, okay, you know what? This is just like, music's over for me. I don't, I don't care. Then a girlfriend broke up, quit the job and went, now's as good a time as any to bleach my hair and start a band. (laughs) And so I did. And I went on a a kind of a crazy tear there for a bit that um, just a bit of a bender. I was drinking way too much. And I had a downtown apartment right across the street from the bars, which was a bad idea. Mm. And kind of whoever was at the table at Winks that night started Single Mothers with me. And that's how it the terrible beginning of a very long yeah. and drawn out band. Yeah. That, Started like a phoenix in the ashes. That yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. So now, I mean, I'm not sure about, uh, it, it kind of depends on what you want to touch on in terms of in single mothers, but you guys make, how long after this kind of formation do you guys do Wild Party EP? So that, I think that would have been in like 2008. And then we did Wild Party in 2000, late 2009, early 2010, somewhere yeah. around there. Um, we did an EP before Wild Party that's, I don't think anybody's heard. What's it um, called? I don't think it even had a name. Oh. It just had like three or four songs on it. It had this song, Welcome Home, Michigan, Bad Cat. And it was more of like a country punk yeah, yeah, yeah. thing. That's what it kind of started. The band kind of started more as like a folky country, alt country punk thing. And um, kind of as more and more people filtered through the band, it took on this other sound that yeah. really had very little to do with me. Yeah. Um, eventually, I just stepped back as better guitar players than I entered the band. I just went, you know what? You guys are do it. I'll yeah. just fucking, I'll just I'll yell over it. Yeah, and I'll sing over it and, and we'll figure that out. Or I think maybe Peterson was like, you shouldn't play guitar. I can't, <laughs> it was a mixture of like, maybe somebody suggesting that I don't yeah. play guitar anymore and um, me going, you know what? Maybe I won't. Yeah. Yeah. In, in, internal and external forces led led the guitar out of your For hands. sure. Yeah. But when I did play guitar, it was a it was a different band. Yeah. And like we would trash our equipment. Like I would throw my guitar after every show. I would whip my guitar at the wall. Like it was a it was very much more like I was going for a very like replacementy like fuck it all, let it burn rock and roll thing rather than like a punk thing that it ended up mm-hmm, being. Mm-hmm. Like we never really considered ourselves a punk band until I think we had our our manager was just like you got to call it something. You, you just call it punk. And we're like, all right, it's a big enough umbrella. We'll just call it punk then. But I, I never really intended it to be a punk band. I wanted it to be like a rock and roll band at that time. Did you, have you ever had any kind of regrets about labeling yourself punk? Like at that, like choosing a kind of nomenclature to I hang mean, above it? I, I, it's definitely stuck more than I thought it would. Yeah. Um, at the time, it was just like, well, you got to call it. People want people don't know what to how to classify it. Yeah, like, yeah. Not, and at the time we weren't really a rock and roll band, a punk band, a hardcore band. We're a bunch of people with very different musical tastes coming together and making whatever we were making. I don't think there's anything wrong with being called a punk band, but I think it might turn off people from that just think punk is like ah, punk is dumb or whatever yeah, yeah. and turn off from listening to it. But I mean if you could get away with not classifying something, I would definitely have rather done that. But mm. people are just going to call you whatever they're going to call yeah, you. Yeah, pe- people need labels. Yeah, people, people need even even in the. 
I guess, you know, I was, I was going to say like, even in the post record store, uh, world, I, there are still record stores and please go support them, but, uh, uh, <laughs> they're even, online. Yeah. They're on, uh, but, uh, yeah, like Spotify and Apple music, they need, they can't just be like, here's the music. Like yeah. they need some kind of, they need something of for the algorithm. Yeah, exactly. But or, the, the, what's interesting is like the genres are becoming so fucking specific. Yeah. Like there's. There's so much um, division in in one genre. It's like you've got you know the posts, for instance. Like you've got the post punk, the post post punk, like the post hardcore punk. It's just like you could go down that line. Oh, it's the post alternative punk hardcore. Yeah. It's like, but that's how humans are built. We're built yeah. to classify a mammals. division. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. For better or for worse. Um, so moving along in the in the chronology here. Uh, so. You guys record uh, the ST in what, 2010 or 2011? I think we originally released it in 2011. I was up north already by then. Yeah. So I think we would have recorded, I don't remember exactly when we recorded it, but it would have been, yeah, late 2010, early 2011, somewhere around there. And then you recorded it and then you, the band broke up, right? Yeah. Is that the chronology? Yeah. So we recorded it. So after real estate, Went on a bit of a bender, lost all the money that I had, took out a lot of credit, lost all that money. I was just like, also trying to get a band going too. And like, it's not cheap trying to like, the little things all add up with the band, especially when you're, you know, 23 or whatever, 24, and just trying to pull at strings. So I had lost all my money. I was, my high, I think my hydro was cut at that point. Um, I didn't know how I was gonna pay my rent. Mm -hmm. I was like, fuck. And my dad called me about going up north to do prospecting for my aunt and uncle. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to go for like a couple of weeks and that'll be make some money and I'll come back. And it didn't turn out that way and uh, ended up going up for like a few years. And in between that, it's 10 hours from London. And I was like, guys, I just can't, I can't make it back like for shows or whatever. Like, I, it's, it's too far. far away. Yeah. yeah. So I said, you know, I think they were pretty pissed at me, but I was like, you guys just do the band without me. Play, play the rest of the shows without me. And if you want to keep going, just keep going. And I'm going to be a prospector. <laughs> yeah. This is my life now. This yeah. is me. Yeah. I'm doing this now. Yeah. And so when I was still up there, we were mixing it. I remember being up north, hearing the mixes back, and we finished it. Yeah, while well, I was up north, they played a few more shows, and we basically like announced the band breaking. I think we announced the band breaking up the same time we released the four songs or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then the four songs kind of kept catching on and we were like, okay, well maybe I'll come down for like a show or whatever. I'll come down. Cause back then I had to take a train, like a 10 hour train ride. Oh my God. I, Cause I didn't have a car at that you're point. Like, you're like in Siberia. It was super, super weird. It was a very weird time in my life. I treasure it, but um, yeah. So I, I think we, I came down, we play a couple shows and that would be it. And things just kind of kept rolling it with that life seven of its inch. Own. Yeah, and it, it took a life of its own. And I got to Jeremy Bohm and he offered to put it out. And like, we had labels hitting us up and it was a very odd time. And we we're like, well, should we give this a try? I mean, like, I was like, I put all of this time and effort into getting yeah. this band off the ground. Should I give it a try? Or do I want to be up north alone in the woods the rest of my life. And I was like, well, you know, if I'm ever going to have a chance, now is that chance. So we got back together and we're like, okay, let's give it a shot. Like, Was there a 
what an in, that, that is such a fascinating turn of events and 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 changing of circumstances from from basically having your hydro cut and ha being not forced but like really incentivized to go prospecting up north because that you've kind of run out of options locally and then having this kind of last pull at the at the handle hit the jackpot essentially yeah. it's such an interesting set of circumstances that most people can only dream of i mean one and there's a couple things that i've heard about this period i'd love to hear you confirm or deny them is it true that jeremy sent uh that email to you guys and it sat in your inbox for like quite a while before somebody checked it <laughs> i think what happened was he we met we had an offer, this was before I moved up north, we had an offer to open for Touche Amore in Hamilton. Oh, wow. At the old Absinthe. Oh, wow. And I had no idea who they were. I wasn't into hardcore at all at that point. I was listening to like the whole study and the replacements and that's like all I listened to basically. But I took it and I was like, all right, well, yeah, I'll take it. And I thought they were like a French band from Montreal. Yeah. Um, and I was working with our old drummer at the time. We took that show, met Jeremy, gave him Wild Party and, I, and our band email. And I think he tried to hit us up a few times about Wild Party. I, none of us knew the password to the email. We ended up getting <laughs> locked out of the email account, forgetting about it. And just, yeah, completely forgot and never checked it really. And then uh, eventually Matt went to a Touche Amore show in Toronto and gave him a burnt copy of the self-titled EP. And he's like, this is what Matt, I think Matt said was like, yeah, I guess he's been trying to get a hold of us. And like he said, he's emailed us and we never emailed him back or something. And I was like, what? Yeah. Hell? And then I remembered, oh, yeah, we have a Gmail. We have a account. Gmail that we never checked. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was really dumb. Okay, so that confirmed that one. Okay, wh what about this one? So I remember hearing a story also about um, the original. So, you know. Uh, the like the the actual sound of the ST is is quite distinct in terms of its like overall like it's it's a very it's a unique sounding recording it's extremely distorted and very very uh, compressed in a very pleasing way if you like rock music it's it's very it's a special recording but was there <laughs> I heard that uh, that that happened in in mastering correct was that a, more of a mastering oh, I don't know or. I guess what the the actual question that I wanted to ask was was there a more intensely crushed version and yeah. then it it had to get pulled back <laughs> a little bit because everybody else in the band was like this sounds like fucking white noise and you were like no this sounds great and yeah. they, you had to reach a compromise of of it being pulled back a bit There was there were like there was a much crazier I think there were two other crazier versions that they sent and I was up north, and I think my first instinct was like, whoa, I don't like this. And then I listened to it a few more times, and I was like, oh, actually, this is fucking sick. This is sick. This is yeah. super sick. And I don't remember if it was me that wanted to keep, like, I don't remember a whole lot from that time. But I remember us have, going back and forth, and, and we, all, we ended up agreeing, like, all right, maybe we could meet, like, a little bit somewhere in the middle and have it. Because it was like, you couldn't hear anything. Yeah, it was that. pretty blown out. Every right? once in a while, you'd hear, like, meh. <laughs> and like a guitar here or there yeah. but like when we i think we recorded it pretty clean and there was some there's some guitar stuff that you can't hear on that seven inch that yeah. we, that mike played yeah we we ended up 
cleaning it up a little bit. Yeah, we ended up cleaning it up like two versions of cleanup, I'm pretty sure. And that's what we ended up with. I heard the, the original, the like I guess like the bed tracks or like the the, the raw tracks. Like I, Bouchard actually showed them to me about three years ago. Does he have them? He has them, yeah, you should get those off him. But I, I was blown away because I just, I it was unrecognizable. Yeah. From like the final product in like a, in like a way that I just, um, it was such an interesting thing to hear because, you know, I, like many people have, you know, are very, very fond and attached to that recording and like to hear what it started out as is such an interesting and cool thing. Hearing how, because I, I totally know what you mean about all the things that you don't actually hear on the final product that are yeah. just part of the greater like bludgeoning of distortion totally, yeah. on the final product. I don't know who decided to get Ian and... Uh, Is it Kenny? Ian and Kenny, yeah, on that. But it definitely like brought a lot of character. Yeah. That I don't think any of us were expecting. When we recorded it, we recorded at the London Music Hall with Simon LaCharette before he had his studio Sugar Shack or mm -hmm. whatever. And like we did the bass in the bathroom. Christian Girls lyrically was completely different when we went in to record it. Like... I forget what the lyrics were, but the pattern, everything was completely different. I ran through it the way that I had written it. I was all hung over. I didn't even want to be there. We were on, I was doing it like on a stage and they were up in the, up in like the control room or whatever. Cause it was a venue that we recorded. Yeah. And I went back and I was like, Hey, how was that? And they're like, eh, I don't know. And I was like, hey, it sucks. Doesn't it? And they're like, yeah, it's not the best. And I was like, Oh shit. And, uh, they were like, do you have anything else? Like you can try. And I was like, I don't know. And I flipped through my notebook for a second and I saw this line, like it's not a habit, it's a hobby that I'd written down. And I was like, all right, let me just try something here. And I like pretty much spitballed that whole song, like wow. within a couple takes. And it was like the whole process of that seven inch is so weird. I, you could, I think we could never redo it if we wanted to. Like yeah. It's just too, it was just too off the cuff and strange. It's like, a, it's like a, a bunch of co like colliding random events. And I don't think we ever paid for it. I don't know. I don't think. I don't think we ever actually ended up paying the two hundred dollars or whatever it cost. It cost to record it. Maybe somebody did. Maybe. I don't remember. But I, I'm sure I went back up. I'm sure I arrived with no money. <laughs> I don't think we ever. I'm sorry if we never paid for it. That is. Uh, I I didn't know that you guys were like separated like that in the venue recording it. That's super interesting. We did like. I wasn't there for the drums. I remember in winter coats they did this like that intro part yeah yeah that wasn't part of the song like they just i think matt found a ladder and recorded it on a ladder this really weird pattern thing and um eventually it ended up and i remember showing up and being like oh that's fucking that's cool that's neat that's how little i was there for yeah, yeah, the music yeah. part of it yeah but when i was doing the vocals i was on on the stage in the main room and they were like upstairs, but the rest of it, I'm not sure how they recorded it, but it was, I, I wouldn't have been live. Well, that I, I, that, I guess that's a good, we'll deviate from the chronology here. Cause that's one thing I, I, um, I always like picking your brain about, um, out of anyone that I've ever met in the rock and roll world, I don't think there's anybody that can work better on the spot than you, like in a studio setting. It's, it is. Um, well, thank you. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating or anything. And it's not just because we're friends, but I am serious. But everybody that I know that's ever worked with you too has remarked about the same thing that you're, uh, you're fat. That even if you don't, if you even if you don't even have an idea, once the tape starts rolling, you're on. And that's that's something that's um, that's quite 
uh, awesome and very, uh, it's, it's rare. Uh, when it comes to working and writing, are you more of a guy that kind of wants to be under pressure or do you like taking your times with time with things? Do you like both or does it depend on what kind of music you're making? I, de- uh, I definitely don't like taking my time with things. I learned early on that the more I work on something, generally the, the worse I, uh, I find the outcome. Like mm. I've, I have um, little spurts, and if it's not good at first, uh, I very rarely make it better. So, like with lyrics and stuff like that, I'll I'll do small edits here and there, but lyrically um, for music stuff, if the, if there's a good song behind it, like I, I, ideas just start flowing. If it's a bad song and I can't think of something, then I, I'm screwed. Like I just can't. And the more I work on stuff, like there's a lot of songs that we've done where. Usually within the first 20 seconds, 15, 10, if I can come up with an idea, if it's, if it's like a good single mother song. Yeah. Um, and if I can't think of something within like 20 or 30 seconds, I, that song is kind of dead in the water for me. Like I could work on it for a long time, but I very rarely have ever been happy with the outcome. So it's just like if I, I try and surround myself with musicians that inspire me and write stuff that inspires me. And as long as like that's that works out, ideas come really quick. And um, I've just always been all of our songs are very like stream of consciousness. And it's I don't think that was ever on purpose. It was just that's just how I, I, I work. I have a huge amount of respect for somebody that can sit there and compose a great piece of writing and take time and be careful with it. That's just not how I do it. Yeah, yeah. And this is how I, I, I do it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's not I something. can't, yeah. It's just your process. Yeah, that's it. Like, you know, I definitely have gone back. There's a few things where, like, I'll listen to a song and be like, ah, you know what? I wish I, like, I maybe step back from that and, like, change this line or change that line. But for the most part, like, all of the early stuff was just right away, first ideas, and I think like learning to trust yourself is a very hard thing to do. Yeah. I never even, I, <laughs> I never thought of it that way. It's, yeah. like, oh, it's done. Yeah, it's done. It's yeah. on here. Yeah. Well, on to the next one. It's please. rock and roll. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> even at home where it's like, okay, if I'm writing a song and I don't have an idea right away and I'm writing it, it's done. I'm like, I'm never going to come up with something that I like for this song. And I just scrap it because it's not mm. worth chasing it for me. You can just come up with something else to work on. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I mean, in some ways, it's like uh, a beat maker and uh, the actual rapper. And you kind of feel if, <laughs> yeah. if a track is vibing for you, you're not our next track or mm-hmm. when it comes to playing with other musicians and even perhaps yourself as well. Yeah, totally. That's that's exactly it. And in um, do, do you obviously musically quite different uh, foundation versus single mothers, but is there any kind of real... Uh, like, is there a, a dichotomous approach between those two projects or do you find a, a lot of crossover in your approach for both? Um, for foundation, it's definitely like, I'm definitely leaning on a different, uh, set of influences mm-hmm. like single mothers. I, I've, I've always at, at the core single mothers is a mix between the whole city, the replacements minus the bear Connor burst and like. I don't know. There's one maybe band that could be a variable that goes in. Like those to me, that's like that collection of influences is what I consider single mothers to be. I'm letting all my secrets out. 
Um, but for for foundation, it's just a different version. It's just like a different timeline for me, mm -hmm. where it's like I grew up also loving the old ninety sevens and like third eye blind and like pop rock acts. And yeah. that's that's definitely what I like lean on for that. And for so for foundation, where I write a lot more of the music, um, those songs come together on acoustic guitars, you know, sitting on the couch, just humming and like playing a few of my favorite chords. Yeah. Over and over. And all the songs are just G C D E F. And those are the best chords. Those are the best Why chords. Why mess with it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Leave it alone. Exactly. And if I like strum a chord and I have an idea, I'll sit there and I'll just, you know, pound out the song. Like I think all of those songs probably came the same way as single mothers do where it's, I think pace yourself. I wrote the day before we recorded the first EP and it was just like that song came together in five minutes. That's Most awesome. of those songs all came together in under 10 minutes. And I've got a whole folder of ones that I've been working on for a year that I'll, I'll never, I know I'll never finish because that's just not how I roll. It's hard to go back to things for you. It's very hard to go back to things. It's kind of like you yeah. need to get it down while it's there and then. Yeah, totally. Like cancel plans if you, if you need to, but get, <laughs> yeah. get the thing done. Yeah. I just, it has to come all at once or I just, I don't have the personality and the, the, um, focus i think to go back and and work on things like since this quarantine thing happened i've been using this program ableton mm -hmm. and i think i've done 53 songs in the last wow. three four weeks and but like a bunch of them are ones that i'm like okay i'll come back to this and i'll finish it tomorrow and the next day i'm just i <laughs> instead of going back i'll just start something new yeah I'll be like all right this one I'm never gonna finish this one. This is yeah. It's like I'm gonna fold that laundry later. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll just wait till we have to <laughs> yeah, put more stuff just, in the yeah, drawer. Yeah, exactly. You know Peter Landy, my buddy, mm -hmm. our our friend. He he's a great songwriter, yeah, and he he'll is. he'll tinker with a song for you know a while until it's right. And I I have a real respect for people that do that. And you guys too. I know you guys put a lot of time and effort into like structures and lose my making fucking sure it's mind, right. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't have that patience. And I, I think like, you know, sometimes it, it works and sometimes it doesn't, but you know, I, I don't know. There are, there are many ways to, uh, to, to, to get it, to get it together. And like, you know, it's, so I think, you know, coming from, you know, the, the kind of longer paced, uh, ladder category, uh, as I do, I definitely envy at times like the position of being able to accomplish a lot in a short amount of time and especially when i look at it through the context of a lot of my favorite music was made that way like it, there, there's yeah. no romanticism to me in tinkering endlessly even though that's my process is that like i you know and us like the whole our band uh uh, will bash away uh, for a year on a on a crop of tunes. Uh, yeah, uh, not all at the same time. Obviously, they all come in and out, and yeah. you know, some take a long time, some come really quick. But, um, but there's no like that doesn't. Uh, you know, I, I, I love the replace, like the replacements will bet, like Paul can show a song and be like, here's how the song goes. And then one, two, three, four, and they start <laughs> yeah. the tape, you know, and Bob Stinson will just do his thing and you'll hear it different every single time. Yeah. You're, just, you're thankful that they captured that one take that they did. And, that's true. You know, I mean, that's just me though. Like when we did negative qualities, I know Mike, uh, Mike P did like two weeks of guitar or something. Like, yeah. He did a ton of guitar. And then I remember like half lit. It was, we had to do vocals for it and like, I didn't have an idea. And then he went out to get lunch and I just, I wrote the lyrics and finished the song while he was out for lunch. And they, that's a song he worked for like ten, two weeks, per, you know, on and off on doing. 
And I felt like I wasn't pulling my weight almost because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's done now. And yeah, like, yeah. What do you mean it's done? I was like, yeah, it's done. Yeah. It's like, go listen to it. And it was fine. But I was like, it doesn't, sometimes when you do things fast, it feels like it's sloppy. You've gotten off too, too light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. he's like, you know, and it, that can sometimes cause a divide in a band a little yeah, bit Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. It's not like we went and like, you know, we recorded negative qualities two times. And yeah. Like, <laughs> it's not like we all worked super fast. I think it was just like, there was a lot of thought and energy went into that album. Whereas like through a wall, we recorded in four four days mm-hmm. like um, no click very spontaneous like, Ian Romano just bammed it out and we've definitely gone through different different ways processes of doing in this band which I think is fun for me I don't know if it's fun for the listener yeah but for me I'm like oh let's just see how it's a one big experiment at yeah all times. yeah it's a, it's a constantly I mean you're kind of going through different things and you know seeing what works best and try I mean and like you know saw it's 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 got to be fun to kind of do it do a different batch of songs in a different environment and see how it feels and let the let the process be dictated by you know who's involved at the at the time and you know it's definitely fun having different people involved all the time like you you've been in the band in mm-hmm. and out like it's, it's i don't know it's weird i fucking it's love weird. it it's weird times when you but. look back at this point uh is there anything like that in the single mother's world that stands out to you so far as like a you know, a, a high watermark for you creatively or the band creatively. I mean, obviously they all have their own unique characters and, and yeah. characteristics, but is there anything that um, that really stands out to you at this kind of vantage point, having had the band for about 10 years now or so, or nine years? Yeah. Um, fuck, it has been, what year is it? 2020? 2020, it has been like Yeah, it's been on and off for Greatest a while. Greatest year now. of all time. I mean, there's been so many ups and downs, like, we go, going to the UK and playing like festivals in the UK was always super cool experiences that I've always liked. <laughs> They're like play this Pugel Pop was a not that's, like honestly, I don't remember anything. That's about one of my Pop, favorite shows of all time. That's for another time. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's for the book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> got to leave something available uh, in fine bookstores in about I don't know a couple yeah. years or so. We'll mm. see. Yeah, I don't know though because like it was Single Mothers was always such a shared experience with like everybody else who was always involved, but there was like I think at the beginning, just getting people outside of our city interested in the band was like mind blowing. The coolest yeah, thing. Ever. Yeah, I couldn't believe it because like Single Mothers was always to me just going to be a local band like it was mm. there was that's why i left it i was like ah, this isn't i remember talking to mike ryland being like this isn't going anywhere it's mm. not going to do anything no one gives a shit about what i write no one gives a shit about us like when the rest of the band was mad i was like why I, i'm doing you a favor like i'm i'm letting you out of this you don't have to fucking waste time doing this anymore <laughs> no one likes this stuff um and then when people started to i was like oh my god you know this is this is weird. So I think back then it was just like, there was so much excitement, you know, you mix that with booze and, you know, four guys that all had very different interpretations of success and like what they wanted to do with the band. Like I had wanted to be a musician for so long. I had a very specific way I wanted to do it. I was like, we're going to do it this way. I've seen so many bands break up and like fuck everything up by just not doing it this properly let's just do it this way and I had my own rules and trying to enforce those rules ended up like being the thing that ruined the band (laughs) like you know what I mean like I did it backwards in there 
But um, yeah, I think festival slots are still, whenever I see a festival or like when, if we get accepted or asked to do a festival, I'm always like, that to me is just a pinnacle of like yeah. a successful band. I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. That, it is, it's always a good bands. time. Yeah, I really, like Reading and Leeds was, a, was a, a big highlight for my career. I say that lightly, my career. But that was one thing that I wanted to do and we got to do it. And I was like, okay, this is cool. This that, is great. That was a highlight of my own personal career as well. <laughs> yeah. This was a great time. That was a fun tour. Yeah, five years ago now, almost. Jesus, September. Murphy. September 2015. Yeah. It flies by. It does. It does Half a decade. That way. Half a decade since the All-Star Fantasy Draft uh, single mother. That was tour. a fantastic lineup. This band has gone through a lot of lineups, but that was a that was a that was a fun fantastic one. one. That was a very fun one. I uh, I I also distinctly have a a memory of that um, on the quicksand tour. Oh, yeah. Of uh, us sitting in the back of a van in Minneapolis. And uh, I think for, for some reason I was wearing mascara and we were talking about how cool it was. Cause I think it was, I saw a picture of Paul Westerberg on the wall and he had worn mascara during the uh, era. Yeah. and we were sitting in the van. And that was, that was one of the first, like, I am living the dream moments that I ever had in rock and roll. This is the beginning of, I was, I was, I was 22 and we were, yeah, we were in, we were at, you know, what for me would be uh, my Mecca and probably yeah, yours as well. Minneapolis, yeah. Minnesota at First Avenue. Still or, love playing Minneapolis. I still love playing Seventh uh, Street Entry. Seventh Street Entry is the best. So good. That, that too, that was a very big highlight. I think that was the second time we ever played Minneapolis, but the first time we ever played First Street or, or Seventh Street. Like, I think the first time we ever played Minneapolis was in a house party. Oh, yeah. And I was still like, what the fuck? And we did, yeah, because that time we did we did First Avenue proper. Yeah. We, I remember I was, like, standing on the stage and, like, just gushing. I was, like, playing some replacements riffs in this really uh, kind of nice but giant Midwestern dude comes out of the corner. He's like, you like the replacements? And I'm like, <laughs> I love the replacements. He's like, I used to do sound for the replacements. I'm like, Dude, okay. please tell me about the replacements. He's like, so he, he was, he was, you and I, I remember we were just like ripping stories out of this guy and he was talking about uh, all the funny things that they were doing. And that was a, that was significant memory, memory of mine in my, uh, my time in rock and roll. That was a good time. And then again, at Reading and Leeds, when we were watching, we played and we smashed it and then we watched, uh, uh, refused from the side yeah. stage. It was like, this is pretty cool. Was this is a pretty sick. good rock and roll moment right here. That was a fun rock and roll. That, that tent. Poor TM. That guy. Simon. Simon did not like it. Shout out to Simon. Yeah. I remember Simon got us like this like cube of hash. Yeah. Uh, and I. <laughs> Justice. <laughs> and so, yeah, Justice really wanted hash. So we got this hash from Simon. And, uh, and I remember I was responsible for the hash. And uh, there was still like actually surprisingly quite a bit of it left uh, when we were like supposed to be when we were like wrapping up the tour and leaving the UK. And we were like Simon's dropping us off at the airport and Simon's a lovely Scottish bloke, as they say. And shout out to Simon. I hope you're listening right now. But I pulled this this Lego sized piece of like Afghan hash <laughs> when we were like in the queue parking uh, or like the drop off area of uh, Heathrow airport, yeah. London Heathrow. And Simon lost his shit. And he's just, I remember Get him, I, I'll just simply remember him sit, turning around and be like, I'm about to lose my shit. Yeah. And then, and then I'm like, okay, fine. Like, and I just like looked at him and I smiled and I just 
ate the cube cash. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, it won't affect me. And then like we get through customs and I'm just like, oh just God. walking in, like sitting in the chair. You guys are like, you guys are like, are you good? I'm like, dude, I'm really good. But like, just, you know, just, just, <laughs> I need some space. Just I don't remember you eating that. That's yeah. I ate, I ate the brick and I had a very, uh, a, a very mellow. You're a home. drug mule. At that point, yeah. So don't right? do, no. Don't ever no. do that. And drugs are bad and all that stuff. But that yeah. did happen. That's funny. Maybe I made that story. They lost. Didn't they lose your guitars on that tour? The air fucking. Oh, that was the worst thing ever. We didn't so, gate check them. Okay, but the other thing too was we flew. We didn't fly direct. We flew from fucking Paris or stuff. Yeah, we then flew to, to. Yeah, we took the weirdest flight there. I didn't book that. That was still when we Pop had a manager. Joy. Yeah, yeah. love them. Love Pop Joy. Yeah, Pop Joy is great. Pop Joy, uh, we booked it. We booked it so that we weren't flying directly to London. We were, we took a. It was two flights, and um, by the time we got to London, uh, and I remember, I because it was my first time flying with guitars ever, and I brought a couple nice guitars. It was the the custom. I brought I brought my standard, and I the lent standard, Justice yeah. a Strat. And uh, I remember we asked the lady at the airport. We're like, okay, so. We're good. We don't need to like pick up. I just had no concept of how this worked. Yeah, it was my yeah. first time flying. We should have gate checked them. Like is we, what we didn't gate done. check them, and uh, like she's like, "Don't worry, they're gonna be there." And we get there, they are not there. Like, yeah. and they're like, "We have no idea what you're talking about." You're and I remember like meeting Simon and be like, "Simon, your first order of business, find my <laughs> guitars." And Simon's just like, "Okay, I'm on it." He's like, "I sent the email." I'm like, "That's it." Call. There's nothing Get else on you the can phone. do. This is a telephone conversation. And I'm like, and I'm like, Simon, what happens if they've lost my guitars? <laughs> and Simon goes, "Well, then they'll probably tell you you shouldn't have brung them." And I'm like, "Thank you for for that great oh. piece of wisdom." And eventually, okay, so I'll t like we won't go into full detail about the Puka Pop show, but I will mention this detail of the Puka Pop show. This is this was so it was our first gig of this the biggest show that I had ever played and probably you had ever played in yeah. terms of like biggest stage. And uh, we hadn't played a show as this lineup yet all together. And we show up at this festival, we don't have guitars and uh we are basically on this massive stage and we're you know again never played on such a big stage before we're plugging into these amps that we've never seen before yeah. or anything and we are being lent guitars from the band that is going that has just gone on and we're yeah. borrowing these guitars yeah <laughs> and uh we're all like we're all like in my mind we're like a kilometer away from each other on the stage so like nobody it was a can huge see stage each, yeah like nobody can actually like acoustically hear each other it's the first time i had ever been on a stage where like you were a hundred percent in the hands of your monitor where like you can't hear what the other guy is doing it's too big and it's outside you could you can hear the snare maybe but like once your own amp starts, you can't hear anything. So you got to really try and yeah. dial in your monitors. And you know, for those who are on a on a who are unfamiliar with single mothers music, it's very per fast and very percussive and very syncopated music. It's not. Uh, it is really dependent on being tight to sound good. In other words, but it very rarely sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> very very rarely. And that day, uh, it did not. But the uh, the I, the <laughs> it was like two p.m. Yeah, remember? it was like two p.m. And I just remember uh, I was we were strapped on these guitars. It was just like okay, let's do it. And you know we had practiced a bunch. I was feeling really good, and all of it just like it was like I was twelve years old again. <laughs> like I just like we 
as a band, like we, like I don't think that you've ever it. Sh- it, it could be on Catatonic Youths, like that a video <laughs> yeah. of that, like a supercut of that, yeah. including me dropping this guitar that somebody has just lent me. I caught it before it hit the deck, but like. Nothing makes you feel dumber than like trying to pull a cool rock move and dropping a yeah. guitar. Um, so I caught the guitar though. It was okay. I also remember that when we started the festival, it was a packed tent. And when we were done the festival, there was like 200 <laughs> people left in this like thousand person tent or 2000. It was the, yeah. No, yeah, but, I remember. I remember getting a call from Pop Joy later that day and he was like, what the fuck did you do? <laughs> what, what, what were you, what were you thinking? And I was like, I don't know. What you I was so know. fucking out of it. I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, dude. Yeah, he's like, you're never going to be allowed back there. And I said, well, they shouldn't have booked us in the first place. Yeah, like, it's like, their fault. I mean, because we had that flight. I don't remember much from that day, but I remember getting off the flight, your stuff missing. <laughs> getting a bunch of ciders, drinking on an empty stomach, and then like some other band from Canada walking around backstage with a big bottle of whiskey. Oh, it was preoccupations. Yeah, and just like drinking out of their bottle of whiskey until we went on, and then this is why I don't drink anymore. It was the perfect storm of, uh, <laughs> yeah. it was like. It, it was it, good. It was a good set. It Let's was just a, leave it at that. It was, it was a really good set. It was a very interesting set. Out of all the sets I've ever played in my life, if I could get my hands on a video, if, if anybody out there has a video of six Single Mothers Live at 2015 Pookle Pomp, I will pay you uh, $100. I'll pay you more to destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, anyways, we'll go into the full details about that set in, uh, in our tell-all book. It was an interesting time, for sure. By the end that, of that tour, we were awesome, though. That was the first tour, too. Like, I don't, wasn't it? We were we threw that together. That was after the big change in the band. Yeah, that was like yeah. I was determined to do that tour because I really, really the wanted to do Reading and Leeds. Yeah, it was like insane really, really, booking. It was cool. We never got asked to play Pukle Pop again. God bless their yeah. loss. God bless Pukle Pop. Yeah. Did it, Did you guys play Pukle Pop? No, not yet. I mean, eh, I it's not worth we it. We did. We did Gross Rock. I wanted. I would love to do Gross. That's Rock. a good festival. Yeah. I would love to do any festival like in Germany. Where's Groserock? Is that Germany? Belgium? Belgium? Yeah. Yeah, I would love to go back and do. Yeah, we did Two Thousand Trees last year, and that's a great festival. That's a great festival. I really, really enjoy yeah. doing Two Thousand Trees. Festivals are always just fun. Yeah, You're I love them. Pay me to just like hang out and watch. Like we did the first Riot Fest in Toronto when the I replacements know. played. Oh, that's the best. That was ever. a. That was a great time. That was an odd Riot Fest. It was the first one in Canada. It was the best one by far. I think it was the best one. No, yeah. no, no contest. One stage. This is what festivals get wrong is they have like they, they have these giant bloated lineups with like, okay, we're going to yeah. have Chance the Rapper, but also like uh, the Hollywood Vampires. Like <laughs> you got to just, you got to, yeah. you got to streamline these lineups so that they're actually appealing to... I really think you got to specialize them, or else yeah. they're, they're just they're 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 too big. They're gonna fail. They're just trying to market to as many fans. as Doesn't they work though, because yeah. there's too many festivals. I mean, like not obviously this year because it's the apocalypse. But like yeah. the uh, you know the general thing is that like there's only so many 
concerts or festivals that people are going to go to a year, right? Yeah. So you, the... I mean, I, I hate attending festivals. You too. couldn't pay me to just go to a festival. I like playing them because you have extra access. The last one and that food. I went to yeah. was that, was the one that you guys opened that show. And funny story, I don't, did you know that uh, Teenage Kicks originally got offered your slot and no. they said no? Yeah. No. Yeah. Peter I was just hanging me. out with Peter Van Helder. Yeah, Peter was like, yeah, we got offered the gig to open for uh, Iggy and the Stooges and the Replacements and uh, the Weaker Thans. And like, he said something about how it's just like, we don't want to burn that Toronto play or something like that. It's like, bro, you could have played with Paul Westerberg. Oh my God. And like, what is great about, <laughs> it's great what story. was great about that show wasn't playing it. It was being able to be in the VIP area watching the replacements play. Their like first show in 23 years. Feet away from the stage. Arms and I was arms in arms with the Flatliners. Yeah. Just singing every fucking word, just drinking beer. Like that's, that's why you do it. You yeah. don't do it to, you know, it's fun to play. Yes, it's super fun yeah, it's to great. play. But I don't think when we said yes to that, it was like to play. It was like, holy shit, are you kidding me? Yeah. I get to, okay. And we heard the replacements uh, sound check was super long that day. Was it? Yeah, it was really, really long. Did they do it themselves? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they did for at least the part that I saw when we got there. It was very good. I'll never forget that show because, I mean, that was their first show in, in 22 years. And, like, the amount of anticipation for them actually playing that show was just, like, it was – you could – I've never been in a crowd that was like oh that before. God. And, like, you looked around and it was, like, it was, like, every – musician every rock musician yeah. in southern ontario was there and like you know the uh, titus andronicus patrick Ooh, stickles was next to me titus and like, all these like yeah. it was just it was just it was a crazy atmosphere of people and i remember the first thing uh the first glimpse of the replacements 22 years because they had been really careful about not posting any videos or put pictures or anything first thing was a cigarette butt flying out of the <laughs> wings that paul westerberg flicked that landed right at the base oh. of his mic stand and him walking out like this and then so good I just everybody just from that moment on it was just it was the loudest singing at a at a concert i've ever heard Imagine I what I was like more. I wish I was sober for all those things. Like I wish I quit drinking years and years and years ago. Because like, I wish I had a clearer memory of all of that. Well, you still got to open for the replacement. Oh, it was great. <laughs> I can't believe I got to text Peter. Yeah, maybe I could. I could be like uh, botching a couple of the details there, but he did mention that the kicks got off of that show. Oh, I love Peter. We uh, we were just at Gage Park the other day. Had a nice chat. Nice. Hang out. He's a fantastic music. If you I guys are like rock and roll music, you know, Peter Check Van out Albert. Teenage Kicks and Teenage Peter Van Kicks. Halbert's solo material. It's fantastic. absolutely fantastic. What about, what about you? What's been one of your highlights in the nil sphere of like, it's I mean, been a great couple of years for you guys. Playing with the Who is really, really good. Yeah. That's Meeting crazy. Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey on my birthday was a pretty good one. That was the Festival de Quebec? Yeah, Dete, yeah, yeah. What a, that festival's a fantastic That's festival. a crazy festival. I fucking love that festival. Yeah, that was a good one. Have Heart dropped out or something. It was the day I signed on with Kreeft as our booking agent. 
the, like the day after he hit me up and he was like, Hey, this, this I got, a, I got a gig out. for you. Do you, you want to do it? I'm like, yeah. Which day did you guys play on? Who else we was playing? We oh, it was like some pop punk, weird, hardcore day. It was okay. we took half, not half heart, um, support the brave, only the some, brave, only the brave, maybe some band I had never listened mm. to before and whose fans, yeah, yeah, they, they, weren't, they weren't that, but, <laughs> but we showed up yeah. and it's funny. Cause like I didn't have our band van yet at that time. So I was renting for gigs. But I had my minivan, my uh, Chevy Venture with like no AC, only one window rolled down, and I had no seats all for the way it. to come back. And but I didn't have any seats or anything <laughs> in it. I only had two seats in there because I used it for like um, just moving stuff around. So I, Creef was like, "Hey, can you do this?" I had no band, had nobody that could do it. He's like, "It's tomorrow." So I messaged Brandon. I'm like, "Dude." Do you want to go to Quebec tomorrow? He's like, no. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. I was like, not. let me rephrase this. Uh, will you come to Quebec with me? Um, and he's like, yeah, I guess so. And so I grabbed him, Justice. Did you? You didn't play that show with us. No. So it would have been. That was 2017, right? Yeah. 2018? 2017. Okay, yeah. I think maybe Nardi did. Nardi maybe came with us. Me. Did you have a second guitar Nardi. player or just Justice? I think it was Was just, Riley there? Oh, and Riley. And Peter, no, did Peter Van Helvert do it? Maybe Peter Van Helvert yeah, did it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think we went as a, th a five-piece, and they gave us, like, we got whatever the bigger band than us that, that couldn't make it over got. So we had, like, three beautiful hotel rooms. It's amazing. Nice pay. But I had to go scramble to figure out how to get there. I called every rental place I could. Nobody had a minivan that I could rent. So I had to go to an auto records and find seats to put in the van oh. with seatbelts that day so we could make it to that show the next day. That's hilarious. In my 20-year-old minivan that like barely survived City Drive, you know, that Chevy Venture minivan was the greatest thing I ever. Yeah. We drove across it's a Survivor. It was Single Mother's first tour van. We drove was across it the red one. The red one, the red yeah. one yeah. We drove across North America in 2012 in that minivan. Wow. For our very first basement tour, and uh, and it still made it to Quebec that other day, which is wow. Great. And speaking of kind of uh, adversarial situations in a band, is there anything that like is there anything that really stands out to you in terms of like a, a specific show? or even like a full tour where you get uh, asked to be the opening act and you just feel like god damn this was a, like this is a this is a tough crowd tough crowd but like <laughs> night after night is there have you ever had one of those i mean there were some times in that on that quicksand tour i think that they're like those legacy acts they very it's rarely, tough that's yeah, a tough people crowd, don't really yeah. care about about what you're doing we did an opening slot for this band ender shikari which I'd never really listened to, but their manager liked Single Mothers. And um, Ian, he's a great guy. Uh, his partner is from London, Ontario. So he had hit me up a couple times about Ender Shikari stuff. And I'd, oh, we'd always just been like, eh, you know, I don't know how that would work out. But we ended up doing this tour. You know, an interest, a, a very interesting band. I don't know if you're familiar with them at all. I think they had an early screamo presence, but that's completely morphed into this weird pop synth, just an odd grouping of genres for music. And I, I have a huge respect for that. I guess they're really big over in over in the UK and in like Russia and stuff. Then they they do okay over in the states. So we did that tour with another band called Milk Teeth. Um, and we were in the middle and Milk Teeth's driver um, merch uh, person came up to me after a few shows and he was like, I got to say, my absolute favorite part of this tour has been watching the crowd as you guys play 
and watching their faces and just trying to figure out who you are and why you're on this show. <laughs> and he was like, he came up to me one day and he's like, I, I literally watched this girl's face go from like smiling to when you guys started to just <laughs> like disbelief and dis and then watch her walk out. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's a, uh, that's a very, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for letting me know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate like, it. That's, 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 I mean, we're not for our, our live stage thing is just evolved and evolved and evolved as members come and go and things change. And like, it's not for everybody. Like, mm. and that's fine with me. I am who I am. I am who I am. I have that print. It's a great Do print. You? My oh, mom, good. my mom actually has it. Uh, I see, I see your mom every once in a while. Yeah. I don't know if she recognizes me. I've tried to grab her attention a couple times walking down the street, like with a little wave, but I never, I never seem to catch her attention. Do you have the hat and the glasses on? Sometimes. Yeah. yeah I have my costume on. Yeah. It's a little, there's a little, there's an element of weekend at Bernie's when you've got the, uh, yeah. when you got the sunglasses it's and true. the hat on and the AirPods, but I'll, I'll tell her, uh, I'll tell her to, uh, to keep her eyes. Just say, I say hello. If there's, a, you've already kind of answered this. I think this is this this will be my last kind of general question for you, uh, unless you have anything else to add after that. But um, why rock and roll? Why do it? I, you know what? I never thought of it as a choice. It just happened mm. organically. I think like growing up with a single mom, poor and somewhat like angry. I was a very angry. I did not get along very well with my stepdad. Like. I just gravitated towards it. And I think I think part of just the accessibility of rock and like rap was always growing up. I remember the first time I heard rap, I was like, these guys are bragging. Like, mm. why would anybody want to hear people pray? Maybe that was my grandmother raising me. But I was like, these, this is just, nobody's going to like this. And then yeah, obviously, you know, I was very wrong. But it it was very much about like, look what I have and like, you know, I'm better than you is the message I got at first from mainstream rap in the late 90s. And rock and roll was just did not that. It was like more communal, more like introverted. I've always been like more introverted than not. And like, I think a good rock and roll song that makes you feel is so important to the way I processed emotions as a kid and like helped me figure a lot of myself out that it uh, it just happened i think it was just very natural there's a poetry to rock and roll that i just gravitate towards and i like and it it's aggressive it can be aggressive and soft and make you think and it can also just make you dumb like you, there's certain rock and roll that is for a type of person that just wants to turn their brain off and drink a bunch of miller and that's fine it's just one of those genres that have been around for so long and has reinvented itself so many times that if you catch a good a good songwriter at the right time, you know it can change your life, and that's just what happened to me, I guess. And that's I'm thankful for it. Well, hell yeah, brother! <laughs> yeah. Hail, hail, rock! What and about roll. you? Why, why? Uh, I certainly empathize with what you just said. That I just it wasn't really a choice. I'm just here right now. Yeah, like I just it's just. I guess there's been a series of like small choices along the way and stuff, but it's just been like, a, I also really like that guided by voices line that I mentioned earlier, a whole like holds it to like a, a hilarious amount of truth for me. The, yeah. the whole I dig is bottomless, but nothing else will set me free. It is funny, like choosing the grave site and digging the grave <laughs> willfully. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it is 
this COVID stuff just shows how fragile everything, you know, everything is. Yeah. And it's like, there are a lot of better choices you can make Stabler, for security for sure. and things like that. But it depends what you value in life. If you value experience and travel and doing what you want, then, you know, that's what you got to, that's what you got to do. And you got to put everything else to the side. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally, I, I definitely sympathize with the people that, you know, both of us have known that have kind of like, that have exited a life of music or a, li a life of full-time music for yeah. like by their own choice or by not by their own choice. But I, I, I sympathize with those decisions and um, those uh, pathways. But at the same time, like if you, it wouldn't matter how much I was, how successful I was doing this, I, I just can't stop. I just even even on the days where it drives me the most crazy. Like yeah. and I feel like whether it's like, you know, the other facets of the whole thing, like the less the things they don't tell you about uh, when <laughs> when you buy your first Squire Strat pack. Yeah. Oh my um, god. Or whether it's just like being like the pressure to deliver or whatever it is or touring and like the the worst day of rock and roll is better than the best day I ever had of being a butcher. <laughs> Yeah, you like, were a butcher. Yeah. That's terrible. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, actually, the best, the worst days of rock and roll are still some of the best days probably. And I think that's also, there's a thing about doing it on your own terms, doing what you want. Like I conjure up, a, I don't have a ton of self-admiration, but when I do look back on the last five, six years and I go, you know what? I've done the, la the last two single mother's records exactly how I wanted to. Maybe that was a mistake. May I've definitely made mistakes on the way and things like that. But I like, I kind of eliminated all outside influence. And at the end of the day, I am, I'm proud of, of, of that alone. Like, cause you, they don't tell you that it's, well, it's not just music. The, mu the music and the music industry are two complete different oddities. Yeah. Like it, they're two complete different things to navigate. And they, they don't tell you that growing up when you buy your first rock and roll CD. Yeah. There's some days that I wake up and I'm like, God, this, this is terrible. Like, I don't like this. And I can think back to being lost in the woods, almost in tears because it's about to become night and I have no idea where I parked the van and yeah. I'm still two hours away. And I'm like, I don't have any camping stuff. I'm soaking wet. Like there were times I fucking cried in the woods once because I thought I was <laughs> stuck yeah, there. Yeah, that know? was the end. And I think back to those times, I'm like, this is actually pretty good. Yeah. It's funny how, how quickly you adopt and like get comfortable. But then COVID stuff hits and then you're like, oh yeah, this is, you know, fragile and you must take it all in. Who knew like our last show that we would play for the next long time would be in Eugene, Oregon, you know? Yeah. But that show was sick as hell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad, you know? Yeah, it's, Anyways. Uh, I think like, you know, the thing that's become the most dominant in my mind at this, from this current vantage point, you know, it's often not the, it's not survival of the most talented or even like some of the best bands are just gone. It's just that it's yeah. survival of the most adaptable and the bands that are like, all right, well, this terrible thing happened. All right, well, <laughs> let's just get, let's get back yeah. in the van. We'll keep going. And you know, it's the bands that, you know, they, they did one, two, they did like half a tour and they're like, you know, this sucks. Like, like yeah. I'm oh just, yeah. You know. I tell I tell a few of my friends all the time, like uh, writing a great song and being successful have very few things in common. Yeah. Like there's so much more that goes into it. You know, the right time, the right place, the right things, the right, like 
the right streaming services, like the right social media, the right algorithm, like all of that stuff. Yeah. It's like, you can be a fantastic, some of my favorite songwriters, nobody like Corey Brandon, very few people know. Yeah. And he's one of the best songwriters in North America. And yeah. it's like all the best song, all the most successful songwriters I know, listen to him, love him. But he, you know, he's still, I th somebody told me he's like, he's still lucky to fill a, a hundred cap room. And these guys are are all guys that, you know, can fill 10,000 cap, thousand cap rooms all the time saying like Corey Brandon's the best. And it's, I think about that very often when I'm like, you know, I feel bad for, for some of, some of my friends that are just so good and that threw in the towel because they couldn't navigate the industry side of things mm -hmm. or didn't want to. And yeah, I think, well, I mean, it's obviously what, like even rock and roll and it, it can at times have a bit of like a, like a macho exterior kind of thing. But at the, at everyone's yeah. core who's doing this, we are all whiny little sensitive people. <laughs> yeah, uh, very whiny. That's why we're doing this. Yeah. Um, because, because uh, baby, we just got to dance. Uh, but- uh, <laughs> That's a good way to wrap this up. Yeah, yeah. it's, uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, I guess I would say if there's any piece of advice out there to the youth or to anybody of any age who, who, who loves rock and roll or any kind of music and wants to do it, I would say that use this whole thing this COVID thing as a wake up call to remind you that uh, do whatever you want to do as long as it's not fucking with other people and their uh, personal freedoms or anything like that. If, if you want to do uh, rock and roll or play uh, fusion clarinet, then fucking do that. Fuck your stupid job at the bank or do both. I don't know <laughs> yeah. if you can. Yeah. Uh, try and find balance. Yeah. Try, uh, and I guess that's uh, that's uh, that's a good point to wrap it up. But uh, Drew, you're one of my best friends, one of the most talented guys that I Thank know. Thank you very much, my and, friend. And uh, I love you very much. Same. Thanks for Absolutely. being on the podcast. And, Thank you. Uh, Thank you for being in Single Mothers so many times. My pleasure. And Foundation. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Luke was also in the first Foundation shows. Shout out to the Foundation. Where can people check you out? Uh, Spotify, the Drew Thompson Foundation, uh, Single Mothers, uh, Instagram, the Drew Thompson Foundation, and SM Worldwide, and eh, Google and things like that. Ask Jeeves. Ask Jeeves, yes. Uh, the Drew Thompson Foundation. Oh, on Twitter, Drew Thompson Jr. Hail, hail rock and roll. Take care for now, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.